Good day, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm hopeful that uh, you're doing well, and I'm very glad that you've joined us today. So already, 2022 is shaping up to be a pretty critical election year here in Michigan and across the country, and there is news every day about things that will look maybe just a little different than they have before. The latest news this week so far is that Congresswoman Brenda Lawrence, who represents the 14th congressional district here in Michigan and represents large parts of Detroit and the suburbs, will not seek re-election, which shakes the puzzle up just a little more in terms of who will represent us in Washington come 2023. But a lot of these changes and a lot of this news is being driven by one big thing. The new political maps that were drawn not by partisan politicians in Lansing, but by our first ever Independent Citizens Citizens Redistricting Commission. We spent the full hour yesterday on the show talking about these new maps, about the political implications, and with uh, someone who has filed the very first lawsuit that could test these new political boundaries in court. Today, we want to continue the conversation about this historic first here in Michigan, and we're excited to start things off with two people who are responsible for these new legislative and congressional district lines. Rebecca Zadella was the chair of the Michigan Independent Citizens Redistricting Commission. She is an unaffiliated member from Canton. Rebecca, welcome back to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. Thank you so much for having me on again. I'm excited to be here. Also with us is Commissioner Anthony Ede. He is uh, one of the commissioners uh, and an unaffiliated member from Detroit. Anthony, welcome to Detroit Today. Hello, Stephen. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. So I, I am really excited to talk with both of you about Uh, all of the work that you did last year. But I want to say up front that we owe you a a debt of gratitude as citizens, as fellow citizens here in Michigan for all of that work. When the maps dropped on uh, December 28th of 2021, uh, I I, I took a second just to to sort of marvel at how far we had come uh, in a fairly tight uh, window of time from where we were. And and the difference in these maps, I think, really does reflect how thoughtful and how diligent the commission was in its work last year. So uh, a a huge thanks, I think, uh, to you up front. But I do want to start with getting each of your overall feelings about the process that was used last year and the final products of that work, now that you've taken what you hope will be your final votes. Uh, Rebecca, I'll start with you. Yeah, so um, I think the process is is interesting for everyone to follow because this is the first time we've had a transparent process where citizens can watch maps being drawn, can offer feedback on maps, can offer their own maps for us to consider as well, which we looked at hundreds of maps. Um, And so I think it's been a really novel process. I think it worked well in terms of our ability to engage with the public and to receive all sorts of feedback and comments. Um, 
you know, I think the biggest constraint that we had, and I, I don't anticipate this happening to any other future commission, is just time. I mean, we had this happen in the middle of a pandemic, which um, delayed the census, which also delayed our receiving data. And so that put us under a huge time crunch. But despite that, as, as a group, we put in, you know, Herculean hours some weeks <laughs> to get stuff done. If that meant we were having 10 hour meetings back to back day after day, and then also traveling throughout the state as well to talk to people. I mean, we went all the way up to Marquette. We were in Grand Rapids more than once. We went to Warren, Novi, Detroit several times. And, um, you know, we did all that in the middle of a pandemic so that we could reach out to the public and hear from the public. So I think it's a good process. I think it's a great process. I think it had its challenges because we were sort of building the plane as we were flying it and figuring things out. But I think overall, we came up with a significantly improved result over prior maps. And I hope the public is happy with what we did. Hmm. Anthony, uh, what was your sense of how this all went and with what you guys ended up with? Well, I think it went about as well as anyone could have hoped, uh, given the challenges that we were under. Uh, like my colleague, Commissioner Zatella said, you know, it, there really was a little bit of a time crunch due to the census delay, and having that time uh, would have been nice. Uh, the, you know, there were other challenges, too, coming from starting this process in the pandemic. I mean, uh, you know, for the first about six or seven months, we were all meeting on Zoom, um, you know, which I think we're all used to by now, but, uh, you know, you don't build rapport as easily on Zoom as, as you do in person. And it was, it was really nice when we uh, could start meeting in person uh, to get our work done. Um, but, you know, it really was a, a, an exercise in this huge experiment in democracy and on what can be achieved, uh, you know, if you take a step back sometimes and, let regular everyday folk, uh, you know, participate in this democratic process. Hmm. So I, I want to say up front that there has been acknowledgement, uh, even from some members of the commission, that, of course, these maps are not perfect. First, because nothing is. Uh, but second, because uh, this, is, this process requires you to think about lots of different issues and inputs all at the same time and to balance them. And there is no way to balance them all in a way that everyone would be satisfied. Uh, at, at the same time, I think it is worth sitting and looking at the map and thinking about which issues got priority and which considerations got priority and which were uh, were less important overall. I mean, there were a number of criteria that the uh, commission had to had to think about. Um, so I want to start with the, with how satisfied each of you is with the maps, uh, and what some of the ways are that you might be disappointed in the way they turned out. Uh, Anthony, I'll start with you this time. Well, I'm actually very happy. Um, I think we have a set of three extremely fair, extremely representative maps that follow uh, our criteria under the Michigan Constitution uh, as much as we can. Um, uh, you know, I, I really think all, all three are quite good 
uh, you know, for different reasons. Um, but, but I mean, I, I'm very satisfied and I'm very pleased that we were able to collaborate and pick maps that we all collaborated on together. So, so Anthony, before I go back to Rebecca, do you feel comfortable talking about the things in these maps that perhaps you wish were different or better? You know, it's hard to say what what could be different because there's a little bit of an art to redistricting. If you change one district, it creates a cascade effect where you have to change every district. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, some pe- people don't usually, uh, uh, sometimes people don't understand the, the, the art of it, right? It's If you change one thing here, you, you have to change things everywhere. And sometimes that's not feasible because if you, you drew one district for any particular reason, you want to have that district uh, stay in place. Um, so I can't think of any at the top of my head. Hmm. Hmm. I, I, I think that's a really important consideration for people to understand, too, that essentially it's like a it's kind of like a game of jenga i guess where uh you know you're stacking these blocks to create a, a structure that that achieves um you know one goal but also has to depend on achieving lots of little goals along the way and if you you know you pull the wrong thing out the whole thing kind of collapses it's all it's all interwoven and it's all dependent on on the other parts of the uh, of the maps, uh, Commissioner Zatella, you didn't vote in favor of the congressional map, so I know that there are, are things that you think could have been better, at least about that one. But but I want to give you a chance to talk uh, overall about these maps being imperfect and how satisfied you are with uh, the final products. Yeah. Um. So. <laughs> I guess I take a more critical eye than Commissioner Eid, and I know than than many of my fellow commissioners. And again, I think part of my criticism comes from the function of time, and I wish we had had more time to make things better. Because you know, as Commissioner Clark said in our press conference last week, that I was the, one of the primary map drawers, and so I feel like I have a deep understanding of the maps and where we could have improved them. And I definitely think there are things that could have been improved upon if we had more time. Um, So that's a concern with respect to the congressional. I mean, I did state that I felt that both the birch and honestly, the apple were preferable to how they treated Metro Detroit because, you know, we have multiple communities of interest that we were trying to accommodate in those maps. And I felt that the birch did a better job of both accommodating the African-American community and then also accommodating the Jewish community, accommodating the Asian community, accommodating the Bengali community, the Arabic community. And, you know, I felt that that did a better job of putting all of those communities of interest together in the way that they had asked for. And so to me, that map would have been preferable. Hmm. That being said, you know, I respect the decision of my fellow commissioners that the chestnut is the one they wanted to go with. Um, And so that's what we have adopted. And again, I feel like it's a thousand times better than anything we've had in the past. So, you know, I'm not going to lose any sleep over that one. I, I do lose sleep over the Senate map and I express my concerns about that during the meeting. Um, And the, and my concern really comes from 
an absence of data. And one of the things we heard in particular when we were in Detroit was the concern that we were looking at general election data and using that to determine what the percentages were that we needed as sort of a range to create opportunity districts for African-American individuals living in Detroit. Mm -hmm. And much of the criticism we received is that you can't just look at the general election, you have to look at the primaries. And so the problem with that is there's just an absence of data on the primaries because of we were looking outside of Wayne County to draw these districts. And so there, the data is absence and some of the data that we had, I think was a little concerning on that point, but there was just an absence of data to definitively say, yes, these targets that we aimed within were going to be able to support African-American individuals having the ability to elect candidates of choice. So mm -hmm. it was something I mentioned in the meeting before we voted on it. It's something I still have a concern about. And really it just comes to, it wasn't an absence of good faith on our part. We worked with the data that we had to come up with, we think was the best solution. Um, but I just have a lack of comfort with that absence of data because I really would want to see that before saying with confidence, yes, this is the right map. Hmm. So, so we should pause at least briefly to catch listeners up a little bit on some of the terminology you're using there. Uh, birch and apple and chestnut are names of the different draft maps that uh, that uh, you you guys uh, put together, and and they each represent a different approach to balancing all of these considerations is that a is that a fair characterization rebecca rebecca yes that is a fair consideration yes yeah, yeah. characterization um, so, so i i i, I want to talk a, a lot more about some of the the issues that you raised there uh, and in particular this question of how you how you draw maps that provide sufficient opportunity for African Americans and other um, other ethnic uh, groups or other designations to be able to have the say that they should uh, in, in in the process, um, this question of majority districts where uh, there's almost no question that uh, 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 an African American would be elected from you know uh, from a particular uh, place because you've got 50% or more African Americans um, in that in that jurisdiction versus this 40% number, which I believe is the median uh, percentage nationwide for districts represented by African Americans. I, I would love to have both of you talk about how these maps take that into consideration and and again how you might have have done it differently. Rebecca, you were just talking about your real concerns, especially on the state Senate map, about how that was handled. If you could give us a little more about how the commission sorted through that and how it came to the final decisions that, that we see, I think that would be really helpful. Yeah. So um, in order for us to comply with the Voting Rights Act, we have to conduct an analysis of is there racially polarized voting? And so we did do that analysis. We hired an expert and the expert did the analysis. And based on her report, this was Dr. Lisa Hanley, um, she found that for the general elections in Michigan and Wayne County in particular, that if a district has 35%, what we call BVAP, which is black voting age population, that 
that is sufficient of a percentage in order for candidate or in order for in, be individuals to elect their candidate of choice. Um, so in Wayne County, the percentage was 35%. In Oakland County, it was closer to 40%. And then as you moved to Genesee and uh, Saginaw, we had different analysis for different areas. And so using that analysis was what we used to draft the actual maps. And so we were aiming for sort of a range. It wasn't a fixed number. It was a range of 35% or slightly higher in Wayne County, 40% or higher in Oakland County. And those were kind of the targets we were working with. Um, but again, the, the issue that we heard in Detroit is that that was looking at general elections. And the reason why this comes into play is that in many areas where you have a very concentrated lean of voters, one party or another, so if you're in the Upper Peninsula and it leans Republicans 60 70%, the primary is really where your ability to elect is at because mm -hmm. whoever wins the primary is going to win the seat. And so that's what we were hearing from the voters in Detroit, that just looking at the general election isn't enough, that you have to look at the primaries and see what percentages in the primaries impact the ability to, to choose that candidate of choice. And the problem with that is the data is just lacking um, because there isn't a lot of primary data and there isn't primary data outside of Wayne County that you can sort of compare to what's in Wayne County. And so the concern was raised, but there just isn't data to address it. And so we proceeded with um, the general election data to use that as our framework. Um, you know, but I still think the concern that was raised was legitimate. It's just, unfortunately, we didn't have a way to dig into it deeper because there's just an absence of data. So yeah. I think we did the best with the information that we had and particularly the time constraints we had. Um, but, you know, time will tell whether yeah. whether so, we so, actually did it. So, so yesterday on the show, we talked with Keith Williams, who's the chair of the Michigan Democratic uh, party Black Caucus, and he says that the way he reads the VRA, there is a requirement to re to create a certain number of majority minority districts. That fifty is the number that is key. I, I wonder, Rebecca. I mean, you're 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 an attorney as well. Uh, I, I wonder if you read that the same way. So I rely on our expert on opinions on that, and that was Bruce Adelson and um, his opinion that he gave to us and which is reflected in memos that he gave to us as well, is that um, we aren't required to have like 50%, like, you know, a lot of people were saying minority majority means 50% and Mr. Adelson disagreed with that advice and said that it's not consistent with the case law. Um, I have no reason to discount his opinion on that. So I tend to agree with him. Um, you know, the question is, is the 35, 40% that we um, used based on the data that we collected from the general elections, is that a minority majority district? And I believe based on Mr. Adelson's interpretation, it is. So, hmm. uh, Anthony, Ede, I, I'd love to have you jump in here and talk about the way in which you were thinking about this balance that has to be struck between, you know, drawing communities of interest together, but also considering opportunity districts for African-Americans, especially in places like Southeast Michigan, where you have um, the, the largest majority black city uh, in the state. Well, you know, another interesting thing that that analysis found was that in the previous maps, uh, especially the house maps along eight mile uh, that were enacted in 2010, 2011, those districts had 
uh, BVAP numbers approaching 90%. Uh, now, because of that, an argument can be made that because the number is so high, mm-hmm. it actually precludes the community from having more of a voice. Yes. Um, and, and I think that's what our maps attempted to undo by spreading the vote out among a greater number of districts. It creates opportunity districts that create the opportunity for more minorities to get elected. Um, and that's the route that we took based on the analysis. An analysis which, by the way, you know, for those listening, is available on our website. Um, and, and, you know, I hope is read because I think it's a rather well-done analysis. Um, is it perfect? No. Uh, primary data, yes, it would have been useful, but you know we have to make decisions based on data that that we have, mm-hmm. and that's what the data showed. Yeah. Um, as far as communities of interest go, you know I, I don't think those are always mutually exclusive. I think sometimes they go hand in hand. We have plenty of districts in our map. In fact, I think almost all of them do support both communities of interest and the other criteria that we must follow. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with two of the commissioners of the Citizens Redistricting Commission here in Michigan. We want to hear from you as well. Give us a call and tell us what your reaction is to these new maps, the legislative maps, the congressional map. Uh, Tell us what you thought of the process last year, where for the first time as ordinary citizens, we got to see the work that was going on. We got to give input and feedback to the maps that were being developed. Do you think this is a better way to do all of this? Do you think it produced a better outcome? 313-577-1019 is always the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page or the Twitter and put comments there. We'll try to work you into the conversation that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Today on 1019 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've joined us. We're talking today to two of the commissioners of the Citizens Redistricting Commission here in Michigan. They dropped their final maps, their proposed final maps at least, on December 28th for our state house and senate jurisdictions, as well as our congressional our congressional districts, uh, people are reacting in many different ways to that work. Uh, We've seen uh, several members of the state legislature and of Congress talk about what their plans are uh, because these new maps really present a different relationship between (laughs) Uh, those who represent us in Lansing and Washington and uh, and and us, uh, the citizens. Uh, we've also heard that uh, Brenda Lawrence, who represents Michigan in the 14th Congressional District in Washington, uh, will not seek 
reelection, uh, presumably, at least in part, because uh, the district that she represents now looks really different uh, on the new maps. Uh, we've got two commissioners with us, uh, Rebecca, Rebecca Zatella, who is the chair of the Michigan Independent Citizens Redistricting Commission, also Commissioner Anthony Ede. Uh, they are both unaffiliated politically uh, members of the commission. Um, Anthony Ede is from Detroit. Rebecca Zatella is from Canton. We want to hear from you about what you make of all of this. How are you taking in these new maps? What do you think of the work that the commission did? What do you think of the product that they came up with? Uh, is it what you expected? Is it uh, better than what you, we've been living under for the last 10 years here in Michigan? A very gerrymandered map, politically gerrymandered map. Also, give us a sense of what you thought of this process. Very open, uh, very accessible to us as ordinary citizens. We saw them actually working on these maps and had lots of chances to interact with them if we wanted, to tell them what we thought about what they were doing and to make suggestions about how they might do it differently. As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. I want to start today with David in Detroit. David, what's on your mind? Good morning, and uh, thanks for hosting the commissioners. Uh, I wanted to thank the commissioners present and those that weren't able to join the show for their time and service in this political environment. In particular, I, I can only imagine the amount of stress and, and uh, challenges that they were presented with throughout this process. Uh, my question is regarding, there was a pretty consistent uh, reference to lack of data for primary uh, primary votes, uh, which I found to be a little bit confusing because county clerks obviously have all of the primary election data. and I believe the Secretary of State aggregates all of the primary election data for the Michigan voter file as well. So I was hoping they could talk a little bit more about this seeming absence of data for primary information. And right. What do they mean why by it was that? so hard to get a hold of it and, and what, what the real challenge was for what was missing. So if nothing else, we can be better prepared for next time. But seeing that there's so many court challenges going on, that that reference to lack of data seems like it's just going to be rolled right into a courtroom here soon, hmm. too. Yeah, David, great question. Uh, I'm glad you called and, and asked it. Rebecca, you were talking about the difficulty making some of these decisions because of data. I, I explain what you mean by that. So um, the best data we had was general election data, which is statewide. And why that is so useful for redistricting is the person who's voting in Detroit is voting for the same group of candidates that someone up in Alpena is voting for. So it's very easy to take those election results and say, okay, based on this new district, here's how we think the vote is going to go. Um, and then to look at that and say, okay, can, can voters who are minority candidates elect their candidate of choice um, given that information. And so you have data across the state that is consistent. The problem with primary data is someone who is running for office in Dearborn is not the same as someone who's running for office in the fifth precinct in Detroit versus someone who's running in Warren. So you don't have this consistent group of data that you can assemble districts from and then look at what the result is based on the data. And so that was the challenge, especially historically districts in the Metro Detroit area particularly in Detroit, were kept in Detroit. They were very compact districts in Detroit with very, very high percentages of minority voters, sometimes over 90%. 
And we were looking to reduce that to comply with the Voting Rights Act, which required us to stretch out from Detroit into Oakland County, into Macomb County, into other areas in Wayne County outside of Detroit. But then when you do that, you don't have that consistent set of data because like I said, people who ran in Dearborn aren't the same as people who ran in Detroit. And it's harder to identify who the minority candidate of choice was and whether they were able to be elected. And so that was where the challenge came in, is that there just isn't this nice data set that you have with the general elections. Hmm. So so to, to, to be clear, you're not saying that there isn't good primary data in right. Michigan. You're saying that that data is not as uh, illustrative of the thing that you were trying to get to, which is how do you draw districts to predict the, the, the level of opportunity to elect minority candidates in a district? Um, uh, you know, how, how, do, how, do you, how do you do that with primary data? Right, how do you tease that information out from the data that we have, knowing that the set of candidates isn't the same from community to community. And we couldn't find a functional way to do that, um, to come up with that data to to reassure me and to reassure others as well that yes, using this general election data is is going to produce the results that we're expecting it to produce. Yeah, Uh, okay, again, David, really appreciate uh, the call and and the question, uh, Anthony Ede, I I, I want to have you talk just a little bit as a Detroiter, uh, somebody who lives and votes in the city of Detroit, about what you think of what what we came up with uh, for Detroit in in these maps. Uh, there are a lot of Detroiters that we're hearing from right now who are pretty unhappy, and uh, the first lawsuit, as I said in the open for the show has been filed by Detroiters, uh, black Detroiters, who believe that uh, this does not respect uh, the Voting Rights Act requirements. Um, I, I wonder if you can react just as a, as a citizen here in, in Detroit to, to what we are, what we are uh, seeing in, in these maps. Well, you know, I've seen a lot of people that are unhappy. I've also seen people that are very happy uh, with what we've come up with. And I think that is something we've seen all across the state, uh, no matter if you're in Detroit or if you're at the west side of the state or if you're if you're in the suburbs or if you're up in the Upper Peninsula. There are a lot of people that, that are happy and there are a lot of people that are unhappy. Uh, what I want the public to know is, you know, we did this using a data-driven, evidence-based approach. And... I think that what these maps will do is give Detroit and other communities with high minority populations, such as Dearborn and Flint uh, and, you know, maybe even Grand Rapids and Muskegon, the opportunity to elect candidates that look like them and support uh, initiatives from the community. Hmm. That doesn't mean they'll necessarily always win, but it gives them the opportunity to. And I think that's all uh, that citizens can ask for. After that, it's up to the candidate to go knock on doors, to you know convince people to vote for them. I mean, we're not choosing elections here. Let's make that clear. You know, we're trying to produce a fair map that allows candidates to run and get elected for office. And I think we did that. Um, 
you know, we'll we'll see how we'll see what happens, right? I mean, no elections have been run uh, under these new maps, so when they are run, you know, we will see. But I think if if you look at the totality of what we were able to do, it's been a marked increase for minority representation uh, compared to what we've had in the past. Uh, also, Rebecca, I want to go back to some of what you were talking about in terms of data and being able to kind of extrapolate from primary data to predict uh, behavior across jurisdictions uh, as it as it relates to to opportunity districts. Um, there were a lot of consultants that you guys engaged um, for this work, and I and I wonder if any of them had advice about how we might be able to do things differently or what kind of data we need to try to produce to be able to do that uh, better. I, I imagine that this is not uh, a novel question in, in political map drawing, that, that it probably has come up uh, in other states. Um, but, but I wonder if there was something specific that you heard uh, or that, that a consultant maybe suggested that we ought to be working on over the next decade to make sure that next time commissioners feel more comfortable with, uh, with the data that they have? Well, I think um, when the next round of this happens, we are going to have the exact data that I'm talking about because we currently have districts where we have 35, 40, 45% black minority voting population. And, you know, we will be able to tell in the primaries whether they were able to elect their candidates of choice in those primaries and ultimately elect candidates of choice in the general election. So the data will derive from the use of these maps. Um, I realize that might not be particularly too reassuring to people today, but, you know, like I said, based on our analysis of the general elections, it, it appears that the communities will be able to elect their candidates of choice with the percentages that we use. Um, and hopefully that will bear out in election results moving forward. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Rebecca Zatella and Anthony Ede, it was really great to have you here to talk with us about the decisions that you made and the maps that you have produced for us. And again, thanks so much for all of the work that you have done over the last year to produce uh, these political, these new political maps. Thanks very much for being with us on Detroit today. Thank you so much for having us today. We really appreciate being on. Yeah. Yep. Thank you so much. Uh, look forward to, to listening to the, uh, I believe you have a talk later today. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Republicans and the issues that they have with Michigan's new political maps. We'll hear from former Lieutenant Governor Brian Kelly about his concerns about these new district lines. Stay with us. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Today on 101.9 WBET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've joined us. So 
we are talking about the new political maps here in the state of Michigan and what they mean for people all over the state. Uh, we just heard from two of the commissioners who did all of the work last year trying to come up with these new divisions the very first time that ordinary citizens were ever involved in the process in any way. Uh, the maps they've produced, though, have elicited a number of different kinds of reactions. Some people saying this is much better than what we used to get from political partisans when they drew the lines. Other people saying that uh, the efforts here were noble, but fall short of some of the goals that uh, we might have uh, as an electorate here in the state of Michigan. We want to continue the conversation right now with somebody who is really familiar with this process and has his own criticisms of the work that the Citizens Redistricting Commission did. Brian Kelly is president and CEO of the Small Business Association of Michigan. He's also the former lieutenant governor under Rick Snyder and former Republican lawmaker. Uh, Brian Kelly, welcome back to Detroit Today. Stephen Henderson, great to be back with you. Thanks for having me on. Yes, it's great to have you here. So uh, let's start with this. You were there in Lansing on the Republican side of things the last time we did this uh, and had uh, our decennial redistricting. It was a really different process at that point. But as someone who's seen the maps take shape in the past, I really wonder what your reaction overall is to the process and the final maps that we've got this time around. I would say that the, the main concern that I have is the degree to which the process disregarded um, the, the importance of holding communities together. So um, in, in this case, you know, you had, a, I think it was a different goal in mind at the end, create more competitive districts, um, you know, more of a, a bias toward 50-50 type uh, situations. And, um, and so in order to achieve that, they often ignored community lines. Um, jurisdictional boundaries like county lines and cities and townships and so forth, and um, and split up communities to a to really an extent that I think is breathtaking um, in order to uh, to achieve political ends. And um, and and I think that's unfortunate because what ends up happening is it dilutes the voice of any individual community when it comes to their representation. And I think that's, um, that's true in Southeast Michigan, but it's also true out state where you have very sparse populations. And, um, and so if you have a, you know, a, a county that has, uh, um, you know, 40, 50, 60,000 people in it, that ends up being split up into three or four different districts, you know, little pieces sent this way, another little piece sent that way and a piece sent, it's like, that community's voice is already pretty small because it's it's rural and it doesn't have a lot of population. But then you divide it up into several different districts, and all of a sudden, in terms of the political calculus, it's um, it, it ends up being uh, difficult for them to really get a seat at the table or a voice at the table. Hmm. So on Twitter last week, in fact, you wrote, uh, I don't have a dog in this fight anymore, but these maps are hideously ugly. The House District, where I live, includes portions of four counties, and while three are rural, none are intact. Portions of Kent, Ionia, Barrie, and non-contiguous portions 
uh, of Eaton. So I, I, I would love to have you talk just a little more about what what that means uh, to you as a Michigander. That's a part of Michigan that is pretty far afield from us here in Southeast Michigan. And, and those kinds of considerations don't always come up for us because we've got such a dense population in Wayne, Oakland, uh, and Macomb. So, so expand a little on, on what you're saying there and why it matters so much. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, in, in, as you had mentioned, and I, I used to be a lawmaker myself. I represented part of that, of the area that now would be the 78th district. It was the 87th when I was there. Mm-hmm. And um, it was all of one county. And then because that count didn't have enough population, it was about three-fourths of another county. So it was, you know, I had two counties I had to really pay attention to. And it was all of one and most of another. And that, it, it, so I had just, I had two county boards of commissioners to kind of stay in touch with. I had a lot of townships and villages and cities and things to, um, to, to meet with. But in terms of all the different community groups, it was, um, it, it was hard to stay in touch with everybody because it's a big spread out area, but it was doable when, but now if you, um, whoever represents that same area and, you know, that same kind of general area in, in the future, they're going to have to figure out a way to, um, to stay on top of what's happening in four different counties, four different boards of commissioners, four different sets of, um, of, uh, of issues. And of course, all the sub issues too, and all the, uh, the, the sub jurisdictions within those same areas. And so it, it ends up being a, a, a situation where the, you know, the most valuable resource that you have is your time. And what I'm concerned and I, what I fully expect to happen is that that representatives and senators are going to have to uh, pick and choose to a larger extent and say, you know what, in, in this case, for example, Eaton County now is three rural non-contiguous parts of Eaton County uh, that are in the 78th district. Well, you know, that's a really small portion of this and I can't take time away from, you know, really focusing on Ionia County where the, where there's a, a higher concentration. And so, you know, I'm going to really stay in touch and, and work. And if, if there's competing interests, well, Ionia County is going to win out because there's only these little tiny sparse populations in Eaton. So those, those, uh, those little jurisdictions that just kind of got borrowed for population purposes into that district. Hmm. Um, and, and in a lot of ways they lose, they lose a voice. And, you know, I give that example because it happens to be the district where I live, but there's also another district right to um, that is uh, neighboring it. And it's in Lansing and it includes downtown Lansing, actually where I happen to be sitting at the moment. Mm-hmm. And, it goes north into Clinton County, then it goes uh, west across Clinton County, and then drops down into Eaton County and picks up the city of Grand Ledge. In that case, um, it's, I think the issues are even different. The population base in that district is the city of Lansing. No question, the representative will, will be focused on what's happening in Lansing. In this case, it's not just that they can't keep track of two cities, Grand Ledge and Lansing, but those two cities are not going to always have the same type of outlook and approach. And if 75% of your district is the city of Lansing, I mean, as a representative, you cannot afford to, um, to, to uh, put the interests of, uh, of the, 
um, Grand Ledge area over the in that case over the interest in, in the Lansing area. So in that case, I think that the 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 desire to remove more conservative voters from a conservative area of that part of Eaton County and put them with uh, the city of Lansing, um, it, it is going to make, you know, it, it'll add one more Democratic um, district in the central Michigan area. It will definitely achieve that. And, and I think that's what the goal was. But the um, but what it ends up doing is it it makes it so that the people in in, uh, in Grand Ledge are going to have a much more difficult time mm. having um, competing with the interest of a nearby but not often well-aligned um, jurisdiction, the city of Lansing. So yeah. Yeah. You know, th- those types of issues are, are really piling up with this uh, with this plan, and I think it's going to be a problem for representation in the future. Uh, you know, I. I, I, I... I, I also want to point out, though, that the last time we did this and Republicans were drawing the map, we saw this kind of thing for political ends, right? And, and you know, if you live here in the city of Detroit, I think you're pretty familiar with that, uh, with, with the congressional seat that we saw drawn out of the 14th. Now, I know that there were, um, there were reasons that, that um, that that were pointed to about about you know racial balance and making sure that there are opportunity districts for for African Americans, but you know um, the the far flung nature of that district sounds a lot like what you're describing is is happening this time. I, I mean I think one of the one of the problems is of course when you, when you try to respect communities of interest, um, which which we should also point out were, was not a high priority for this uh, particular uh, exercise. I mean, the, the, the constitutional change uh, demoted that, that interest significantly, um, that it's hard to balance those things. And it's, it's almost impossible to draw a map that doesn't do some of that. I, I want to interject a, a, a phone call here that I think has a really interesting point to add to, to what you're talking about, Brian. Robert in Detroit. Robert, go ahead. Hi. Um, I'm going to admit that I haven't been really following this, but I am very politically engaged. Like most people, it's probably something I, I just don't have in my daily life to be following. But, you know, um, all I see is a lot of extremism in the country and in Michigan. And Mr. Kelly probably has views that are very different from mine. Um, but, you know, we, we have in the rural areas, you know, white supremacists and militias. Um, in the city, we, we have a lot of talk about reparations and, and all these, you know, critical race theory and all of these touch button issues, abortion. Americans in general are in the middle somewhere. And um, I think this, this committee achieved its goal because the goal is to make everybody more moderate to represent the majority. So um, we're all going to have to, um, you know, constantly be looking at our values and see if they're reflecting the majority of the people. Yeah, If they line uh, up with people in maybe other communities. Yeah, Robert, I I love that you called and and interjected that into the conversation. Um, Brian, what do you make of the idea that creating larger communities of interest for instance, people who don't necessarily live right near each other and automatically share, uh, you know, the same kinds of points of view and interest uh, helps heal the, the 
the, the great political divides. We, we're, we're running out of time. We've only got a couple minutes left, but I would really love to hear you talk about that. Yeah, I, I don't think that's going to be the outcome. I think it'll be the opposite. I mean, look in the 12th. So Brenda Lawrence is not going to run and Rashida Tlaib is going to. I I mean, there's a um, I, I get that, you know, the, you can't take politics out of this process. So in this case, what you did is just traded out one people's politics and, and included another person, another group of people's politics. It's, but it's the people here. It's not it's not politicians who did this. It's a group of ordinary citizens. Isn't that isn't that better? Well, they, I don't think the outcome turns out better. Um, keep in mind before it hasn't turned out better, I, I, I think, is, is the point I'm making is the um, and, and the people that made the decisions before were also uh, elected as well by citizens of the, of the state. And it happened to be by uh, with more respect for jurisdictional lines. And I think that's why the APOL standards that the Supreme Court put in place in Michigan back in the 70s mm-hmm. were really uh, an, an important factor that, as you had mentioned, had been demoted in this process. But I think what it does is it dilutes the influence of communities and in this case, um, you know, I think before it was Voting Rights Act, number one consideration, then APOL standards, number two consideration, and then incumbents in politics were the, the third and fourth, um, you know, factors in the process. And, you know, you had incumbents that were voting on these new districts. And, of course, um, politics are involved in this current process. They were involved in it in the past. So I think really it's just swapping out a certain uh, set of, of, of politics with another set of politics. Uh, who's to say one is worse or, or better? I think in this case, though, by splitting up communities, the um, what you're doing is diluting the voice of communities, not strengthening them. Hmm. Uh, quickly, before we have to end, you're seeing some lawsuits being filed already against uh, these maps uh, here in Detroit uh, by people who are worried about VRA considerations. Do you think Republicans or people from rural communities ought to be suing to to throw these maps out as well? I, I don't think so. Um, the fact that they're bad doesn't mean that they're illegal. Um, from you know the rural areas, I think they did a bad, a poor job of drawing the maps, but I don't think they did an illegal job of drawing the maps. Now, in Southeast Michigan, they, I think it's, they're clearly in, in violation of how the Voting Rights Act um, has always looked at communities, uh, at minority communities, and so um, that, I think there's a stronger legal case there. But that wouldn't be one that would stand up in rural Michigan. Yeah. Okay, Brian Kelly. CEO of SBAM here in Michigan and former Lieutenant Governor. Always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining us on Detroit Today. Thanks, Stephen. All right, that's going to do it for us today. I'll be back tomorrow. Hope you will, too. This is WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk more tomorrow.